Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Paganini. Hello, Charles. Good to be here again. Yeah, always happy to have you back. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And uh, this week we have a special guest. It's Amal Ayash. Did I say your name right? I should have asked yeah, before the show. That's right. That's, that's, that's perfect. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, you're calling in from Jordan, which is yep. cool. I love talking to people from all over the world. Uh, do you want to just introduce yourself real quick, let people know who you are and what you Hi, do? Um, uh, basically, I was working in web development and web technology for the past 22 years. Maybe even I started at the time of university. Uh, in the past 10 years, I'm always focusing on creating uh, um, MVPs or minimum viable applications for startups. So it's been like freelance all the way. And for the past year, I was focusing I'm, I'm a little bit into uh, creating content. So I'm looking into creating more content and maybe sometime down the road, I'll do my own video. Who knows? Of course. Cool. So, that's basically what I do. I have really touched base on a lot of technologies in web. Uh, my last uh, interest was Angular, and I like it. I'm, st- I'm stuck with it for a while for now. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck with it, yeah. yeah. That, that's how I talk about the stuff I love too. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through m- most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. Anyway, um, yeah. Well, it's good to have you. Now, you wrote this article about an RxJS-based state management. And what I think is interesting about this is that, yeah, usually you see people use like uh, NGRX or MobX or, you know, pick your, you know, heavyweight state library. And it looks like you're just doing this with RxJS and the observables that it provides, which I found very interesting. So do you want to explain to people what what you did? And then we can all ask our questions like, why didn't you just use NGRX? Okay, so because, as I said, I create MVPs, uh, the, the key uh, value of creating a very simple application for a startup, especially that for a startup that doesn't have anything from scratch, is that I always look for solutions that do not take a lot of space and do not have a huge boilerplate, basically. So mm-hmm. whatever I do, I usually, I mean, Angular itself, as itself, is a huge uh, third party, you can say, but it's something that adds a lot of value. So whatever I do, I usually stay, stick, around, stick away from um, third parties and just uh, try to do it uh, locally. So I tried NGR, NGRX once, and it turned out that the boilerplate the, the, and the added code to the uh, code base was so huge with the value was so small that I decided you know what we can do it myself it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that big so I decided you know what the, the, the scenarios that I wanted to create is one basic scenario because when you have an application a small scale application what you need to do is control uh, a state uh, for a single user really uh, the main uh, thing that we wanted to create state for was the transaction list, for example, something that comes from the server as a list, and then you update that list by adding something to it, removing something out of it, and updating an item. And later on, we want to create a little bit more like more space for ourselves. What if we want to have uh, a single item state, and what if we want to have multiple states, what if we want to have local states, and so on. So that was the, the, the way I went through the, uh, the, uh, the article that I wrote. I started first with the uh, list which is the most used part, and then went uh, to the other parts of having a single item and tried a few things around adding multiple uh, properties, uh, making the list as an internal property of the state and whatnot, and then came back and realized, you know, this is the class that I want to use. It's a very simple class that I can create as many states as I want to. It's very simple. It returns an observable. It's based on RxJS, which is already a huge boilerplate. You know, why not use it? If, if it comes with Angular, so why just not use it? So that's that's basically the idea. Um, I do have a few um, more regarding when to, because I always try to abstract the things they were recommending so that I can try to think about how the deeper concept applies to other scenarios. So uh, we could dive more into when it's a good idea to create something yourself and when it's a good idea to just use a solution that already exists, uh, which is can be a, a long discussion yeah. in itself. Um, we could also just talk about that specifically to the case of NGRX versus a custom solution. Because one thing that I also think about um, in terms of creating your own data store management or versus using NGRX or any other solution is that NGRX is really good, but it, I agree that it's 
too many things, and sometimes it can become more complex than necessary to do a simple thing. So I completely agree with uh, the fact that if you're going to do something simple, it's going to introduce too much complexity. But I also know, um, because I had to use that in a code base, that NGRX provides a simpler interface that makes it much easier to create crude, simple crude data stores in NGRX. And I think they, they should very well update their docs and make it easier to, to know about that because it's a, a particular library inside of NGRX called NGRX Data. And using NGRX Data, you can massively simplify how you construct data stores if you're just going to do CRUD. And I myself went through the route of creating a data store once. And at the end, I, I chose to, to go back and use NGRX Data. So um, I would actually like to extend this, this things that I'm thinking about to Ayash and ask her, so do you think that uh, there's value in us diving more into that, or would you rather dive more into your solution and how it differentiates from NGRX? Because I think this is, it. we could go in either direction and the audience would see value from it either way. So since mm -hmm. you are the author of the series, I'd like to ask you which direction you want to go. Yeah, well, as I, as I specified, uh, I read this article which states, yeah, you can have multiple ways to, to, to manage state, right? So right. it's not really about uh, whether you should go RxJS or NGRX because they both are valid uh, solutions. The question is, when do you use that and when do you use the other one? And to be honest, uh, I, would, I would always go with the home Homemade, but that's because I create MVPs. Mm -hmm. And when I say uh, homemade, it does not necessarily have to be something that I do now and I have to repeat in every project. Once I have my own library, I can reuse. But it's, the, the good thing about it is the seed. It's not a library. So the seed, you can always like dig in and change and fix and every new project, you just can handle it manually. You don't have to have layers of abstraction. Okay, so maybe if you ask me if you want to go down the road, uh, the road of, of talking about uh, RxJS solution itself versus why not NGRX instead, uh, I think they're both valid uh, ways to discuss it. So I'll just leave this up to you. Which way we're going to go? We're going to go, like, let's talk about just RxJS and leave off the on NGRX. Or um, what would you just say? Mm. I'm, I'm going to jump in and... I'm gonna I'm gonna push us down the road of how you implemented this with RxJS and how that worked, and then we can kind of we can circle back. I think once we see the solution and the thought process behind it, we can circle back to okay. So then, at what point, yeah, does it make sense to use your own homegrown thing versus using something that's out there and you know built, maintained, and embraced by the community? Okay. So yeah, uh, uh, RxJS based state management. Now, the idea, as I said, is to have uh, locally uh, created state management so that we do not have to run into NGRX too soon. Uh, the problem is known. We want to have state management in a simple application. Small scale, medium scale is more like it because at the beginning of the project, it's always either small scale or medium scale. Uh, the solution based on RxJS, it has a, a pattern. I'm using a pattern that we have used multiple times in uh, uh, Angular, which is creating an internal behavior subject and then listening to that subject and returning it as an observable or wrapping it in an observable. So it's very so the class, we already know that this is the pattern that we're going to be using, a behavior subject and returning an observable of it. Uh, now we, we create, we, we're going to run from uh, um, uh, from the front end and backwards towards our class. We want to create the end product is a class that we want to reuse to create multiple states. So one scenario that we want to fix is that we have a list of, for example, projects coming from the server. We want to set the initial state. We want to be able to uh, edit an item, delete an item, and uh, add a new item. And probably down the road, we want to nullify the list somehow. So those, those are the basic uh, four functions. Uh, set state, add item, delete item, and uh, update an item. Uh, the, the thing that I think NGRX and other open ready-made solutions uh, uh, do is that they let you have the toolkit and you go ahead and use it as you wish. So when you have a, when you select something from the store, it gives you back, or when you set something to the store, you set the list and then you deal with the list as you see fit. Like for example, I, I think it's in, in a reducer. You have to clone the item first, for example. I'm trying to come up with a way that we don't have to do that. Just put it away in a class because I know all the time that I need to clone the item, for example. So the first uh, the first uh, element to that class, let's call it state service or list state service. So we want to uh, uh, differentiate it from a single state service. We have the first function is set list, which is the, list of the function that gets the list from the database immediately and sets it into the first 
the next item. Let's call the next as a, let's use the next as, as a verb. Let's next things into something. Mm -hmm. So we next our observable or behavior subject. We will next our behavior subject into this new list. And then we have another one called uh, add item, another one edit item and remove item. The difference is that the add item, all it does is just close the current list and adds a new item. The, the uh, remove item naturally is just next it into filtering the current item without a specific item. And the edit item clones first, then adds it to the list. The, the, the uh, uh, challenges that we were going to face, for one thing, is that we need to have an ID, a property that uh, makes this item, uh, we, we can remove it or find it and, and update it. So all we have to do is create um, a model, a model that we later as a, uh, extend from it. So our state list, if we think about it, is a state list of a generic. And that generic needs to extend or uh, inherit uh, a model. And the model has at least ID, a property ID. So we can use the ID to clone, to find, and remove and whatnot. And that's basically that's just the bottom of it. I mean, uh, besides that, the other things that I ran into are uh, when do we find the item, um, um, looking at the uh, code, uh, the, the, the append list, for example. At one point, you need to append a list instead of just item one item at a time. Let's create an append list. Why not? Let's create a prepend list. Why not? Let's empty the list because it's ours, right? Because it's our list. So after adding all these items, it was very, very simple. Just set list when you have a new uh, uh, incoming data from the server. And uh, uh, if you click on a button to edit list, find the item by ID, edit, clone it, and return it. Of course, you have to remember to clone properly using something like the Lodash property, uh, library, because if you do not clone all the way to the bottom of little details, it's going to be a mess. So you have to remember always to clone properly. And uh, this is it, really. This is the basic of it when it comes to listings. The next stage is to create uh, multiple services. And uh, I tried out a few things, but what if I want to have... A little more than just a list. What if I want to keep state of parameters, like the total number of returned items? What if I want to keep state of um, uh, the filtration, the page number, and whatnot? So the next, uh, the next stage was to create a state list, um, a state service, which is a single state service. It looks pretty much like the list state service, except that it deals with a single item. It has uh, a generic as well. It extends the same model, which has an ID. As a matter of fact, I don't think you need that one in a list item. And in a state, a single state item, you don't need an ID. So the generic does not have to inherit anything in the state. You have uh, properties, uh, they have uh, main functions, set item, for the initial state of the uh, item, and update item, and probably remove item. We just need to nullify the item at one point. Uh, very basic. And then I created some scenarios here and there. Pagination, for example, is what the continuous pagination is a well-known example. Uh, the loading, uh, the uh, filtration, and whatnot. For most of these, um, you're just using observables to manage the lists? Exactly. It's the internal. When I created this, the uh, class, we have two properties. One of them is an internal behavior subject. The other one is the uh, the uh, observable as observable. Because if you say dot as observable of the behavior subject, then you have an observable. And every right. time you create like set list, you return the the uh, observable so that you can pipe right. on it. So right. uh, edit, yeah, exactly. So the, uh, it's the set list and the append list and whatnot. You return the observable for easier uh, easier handling. Piping and so on. So yes, it is observables. I mean, I heard someone say before that it's just not right to have too many observables in uh, your state management. But I say why not? Because it sounds like pretty uh, like a pretty neat solution, very simple one. You can create multiple states as well. You can stop injecting in root because if it's an injectable provided in root, then you have one uh, state, one instance, right? But if you have if you do not inject it in root, like in the parameters, for example, I need a way to control the page listing. I need to, a way to filter it. I need to, a way to pass a certain filter to that list so that the user when they click, I mean, I'm giving you an example of when you need state, really, when you need state management. If you have a page that lists the item of projects and clicking somewhere opens a dialog box and that dialog box manipulates the project, that's when you need state. But if you remove from one page to the other using a route, that comes down to the simplicity of the solution. You really don't need state if you, if you switch from one route mm -hmm. to the other. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it came down to the simple class that I created on the stack bits. And there were a lot of challenges along the way that I fixed one at a time. I came up, I came down to that.
Uh, this is really cool. I, I particularly think that any developer that is using data management in Angular or any other front-end framework, or even no framework, just vanilla, I think that building something like this is going to be valuable at any point because it gives you such a solid foundation of how things work internally that even if you do decide to use a library later on, you will um, know what was the top process that went behind creating it. Um, so I, I still think that this is a super valid solution. Um, I still I still have my, my well, we can, about yeah. it. <laughs> we can argue on, on why not Angular, for example. But again, it's, uh, there's, there's this difference between a mindset of a library versus yeah. a seed. And, and yeah. a seed, the good thing about a seed is that it doesn't layer up abstractions. Now, in an NGRX, they have to deal with a whole lot of people. So they have to write code for millions of people, right? If not yes. thousands, it's millions. So every time somebody has an issue, they're going to log an issue and they're going to make a feature out of it. That creates a lot more code than needs necessarily needs to be. Okay. If you have a small project, small scale, I mean, imagine a small scale application that has one screen, that has less of, for example, transactions that you can add in edit. I have I have an application like that, small application where I keep track of my uh, transactions, my, my daily transactions. Imagine if I add NGRX to it. It's going to like triple in size at the end of the day because there's nothing there. It's just a simple page with a lot of edit and, and delete and whatnot. So that's when you have to stop and think, okay, do I add NGRX now or do I add it later? I'm not saying you should not be adding mm -hmm. NGRX or something like that. But is it now or later? And then the problem is that when, when you are a freelancer working on the inception of all projects, it's always later. And later, I'm not really present. I'm usually at the beginning of the project. So every time I come in, I create it. The next project, I already have it. The next, and, I, and I just add to it. I mean, I, I, spice it up, I spice it up a bit and go on from one uh, project to the other until I reach the point where really this is what I keep using over and over again. So I might just as well share it with the public. But I don't mean it to be a solution as a third party. I mean it to be something that you add to your code, source code, and you manipulate it as you see fit. It's very important that you, for example, this ID. I have a generic with a, with an extended ID. What if you have a key instead of ID? It would be like a bit of a mess there, right? So the, the, this is meant to be a seed, not gotcha. really a library. Yep. Gotcha. Um, how do you balance that from uh, the relearning process later? Because, for example, let me give you one example of uh, a client that I have for, for my company. So I run a software company. We, we have this client still active. Uh, and when they started out, as many startups, they had just one person to do the front end at the beginning. And they needed a solution fast so that they could actually show that it uh, could work, like that they could pivot uh, or pivot now, but iterate over it later. So they needed just something functional to show. Mm -hmm. uh, so this developer uh, is not that he wasn't, um, it's not that he didn't know about NGRX, it's even deeper. Like I think it was the first time that he had used Angular in the front end. So he was learning a lot of things uh, at the same time. And when it came to data management, he started with a simple solution. So he, uh, at the beginning, he didn't even need it. RxJS, he was just saving things into a service, saving the data that needed to be um, reused in many pages so that he would avoid network, network requests. Later on, uh, the system added more features, and then he had to transform that into a more abstract solution. And it actually got very, very close to the solution that you presented. Mm -hmm. uh, your solution is much more organized. It went in through multiple iterations until you got to this into the organized way that you did. Um, but in his case, he was having to push a lot of other features and also keep updating that and adding more features. So he didn't really have time to refactor that. And that became a very huge problem later. Uh, my team was actually tasked with one of the major goals that we had in that particular code base was moving all the data stores that were using the custom solution to uh, NGRX after we got into a proof of concept for NGRX. So that had like two major steps. The first is how can we use NGRX with the minimal amount of boilerplate possible because we do not want to write reducers and actions and effects for everything. And then we had to learn about NGRX data. We had to really play with it because unfortunately there are not many docs about it. Um, yeah. And then when we finally found a good solution for one module, then we went to the next big step, which was applying the same solution to all the data stores. And at this point, the thing that started 
uh, three years ago when it was just one developer in the front end. At this point, it was more than 20 data stores and they were mutating the state in such a way that it wasn't a clean replacement well, for us to, be, to replace that with a functional data store that would treat data as immutable and replicate that in the most performant way possible. Um, it was not just switching the stores and changing the syntax a little bit. It actually became a, a much bigger monster and it took literally months. <laughs> um, I'm talking like four months of work to refactor all of them. And it costs a lot to the client itself, to the company later. So one thing that they, at the time when I started talking about uh, the fact that we we were in a point where refactoring that was necessary because the code was so messy that we couldn't add more features. Uh, at the time, they still had the thought that, oh yeah, we understand, but it, it was the right call at the time because we needed to go fast. And uh, even I agreed. Uh, but then more recently, their thought is now, we should have researched more so that we wouldn't have to refactor so much later on. So uh, that's something that, um, something that as you were talking about your uh, the projects that you get, immediately came to my mind. It's like that is the context that provides reasons for those seed projects to emerge. Is when you are in an MVP, you have to create something fast, you have to be able to uh, to change things, and it makes sense that you want to start with something easy. But the other side is later on it becomes problem. But then you could say, yeah, but then later on, the company is already running. They already yeah. have an MVP. So they're in a better position, especially financially. So now they can uh, put the investment to that. True. Yeah. Uh, but the other side is, what is really the cost of adding NGRX or any other big library earlier on? You may say it's going to triple the size of the application. Yes. But in terms of the time that it's going to take to execute or to download the initial bundle, uh, it makes even if it multiplies by five, the bundle size, just because the app is so small that even like one library makes it multiply by five, it may still be really small. So the time that it takes to download and execute might still be short. Yeah. Um, so I wanted your view on that. Like when does it really make sense to avoid increasing the bundle size and adding this tech depth that would need to be changed later on in the application? All right. Well, going back to your example of a company that is hiring a single person to do something, then figuring out later that they should have researched more. Probably they should have had a better developer as well. <laughs> because you see, I mean, that, that, is, that is part of the decision, right? When you create a, a, a new project, part of the decision is who's going to make it. Are we going to have a small solution? Or are we going to have a huge solution? Who's going to make that call that this is a small solution or a large solution? Who's got, who, who can decide that later on we need NGRX down the road? Because that is, it is an art in itself, knowing ahead of time what you need later. And it's not something a junior developer or someone who doesn't have enough knowledge in that and to, to figure out what, what, to do, what to do now in order for later things to go smooth. Uh, but when I, when I say MVPs, most of my projects that I work on are small scale, and I know they never go beyond medium scale. But it's really a thing that I want to encourage more developers to pick up on, which is create seeds along the way, even if later on you need to transfer that. Because very, very simple or subtle difference between having an NGRX everybody knows about versus having your own internal code. Your own internal code, at the end of the day, is something that you can manipulate and fix and do whatever you want with it. You can, I mean, when I say triple the size, I mean, if you look at the NGRX and the, uh, the RxJS state management, just one file, just one file that, uses for, that I use for all the states, really. So you cannot really compare that to the NGRX library, you know, the whole mountain of files. The other thing is that when you have a huge library like NGRX, you have third-party people that to, to dictate how you should do things. You never know what happens in the next version. Telling me about what, you, what goes down the, the, the road in this version. So you imagine next version, what's going to happen when they upgrade. The technical debts that you, you thought you had when you used NGRX, for, uh, when you used RGX or, or you know, home homegrown application, wait to see it when, you, when NGRX updates. Really, because I've seen, it, I've seen this happen a lot when it comes to, like, for example, Bootstrap. 
I don't use Bootstrap. I also use a homegrown uh, framework, a framework that I'm used to. And I, I document it well for my clients, but I expect them to remove it and add their own stuff. That's fine. I use the same uh, syntax as much as I can, possibly can. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I used Bootstrap 3 at one point, uh, by the time the project ended and started to pick up and had new projects and go down the road and have production, uh, Bootstrap 4 was in, in, uh, in the market. So whatever you know about Bootstrap 3, you have to go back and fix it. It's now old. You have to upgrade. And yeah. that happens because it's not yours. It's simply not yours. So I'm just, I just want to encourage more people to, all right, it's, it's good to have third party. And it's good to have people gathering together to create libraries and, and share their opinions and have issues and whatnot. But it's also it's a good habit to rely on your own stuff. And then the because it helps you just grow, at least technically. So next time you're having a project, you can tell, well, you know, maybe we should hold off NGRX for now, knowing that we're going to be using it like six months from now. So let's let's uh, start now with something simple. Knowing where to fix or what, you, or just create stubs. You know, you create stubs and you know that you're going to stub NGRX in these points. Mm -hmm. That's a better way to think about it. Even even uh, simple solutions like CSS. I mean, since when do we need a library for CSS? It's just been recent. You know, when Twitter came up with Bootstrap, but yeah. CSS is pretty simple and straightforward. You don't need a library for that. You know, yeah. I always keep saying that Bootstrap, the problem with Bootstrap, is that it made developers think that they are good designers. You know, <laughs> at one mm -hmm. point. <laughs> Bootstrap so, is beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful for developers who are colorblind, probably. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that you have so many websites now, be, look alike, they all look alike because they all, yes. all use Bootstrap. And that, you know, that's, I'm digressing right now. So let's, let's get back to the, to the topic. Yes. The idea is that when, so I think, I think with, with, our, uh, uh, with our knowledge year after year, we're building our technical knowledge, it becomes easy to, find, to figure out at one point that yes, let's use, I mean, I used to, for example, never use material out of the box. I mean, the material product, CDK, I never used it out of the box, except for the day mm -hmm. control. Because I know the date control is something I don't want to do myself. It has a lot of features, so I just get it out of the CDK. Then HTML progressed, and then the, the date control is now built in. So I don't have to use it at all. I still see people using stuff from material that they don't need to use from material. They can do it in native HTML. So it's just a mindset, you know. I'm trying to encourage that mindset of just trying your best to have to be native. Let's say, I mean, Angular itself is not native, but yeah, try at least to use Angular, you know, before you jump into a bigger solution, knowing. That yes, you might need a third, a third party solution down the road. There's nothing wrong with using an NGRX, but know when to use it and when, how to prepare for it. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I put together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll, we'll meet one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on gather town. And so after the, the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to gather town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and, and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. I think you, you said many, many interesting things that we could dive deeper. One thing that I'd like to point out is you, you said that besides the problem with the bundle size, you have a maybe even bigger problem with control with having something in your code base that can change the API at any point. It can change how it works, not just internally, not just as a black box, but how you interact with it could change. Yeah. And even when you're talking about Bootstrap, it's even bigger because it can change the actual visual results, not just for you, the developer, but for what 
your users are going to see. So maybe you don't even want the changes that a new version of a CSS framework um, applies to your overall design, which is one of the reasons why I never use CSS frameworks. But again, <laughs> I'm not going to digress on that. But talking about control over third parties, there's something that uh, me and well, uh, all teams that I have in my company, we are instructed to uh, to do this whenever we add a third-party solution that is going to be reused in many parts of the application. And the instruction is always to add a layer of abstraction on top of it. So for example, when we use NGRX, we don't interact with the NGRX store directly. Mm -hmm. We always create facades, which is a class that interacts with NGRX internally, but you just interact with the facade. And the idea is sometimes you're not going to need NGRX. If you just need a very, very... We have um, some models that cannot be updated, deleted, or created. They're just uh, hard-coded list. Either hard coded in the front end or hard coded in the back end, and the back end gives to you. So there's no reason for us to have a full NGRX store for that. So in those cases, we still have the facade with the same API of all the other facades. So it, it it implements the same interface. It has the same method names, the same signature, but internally, it doesn't necessarily use NGRX. Mm. It can be a facade that internally just directly saves the data into a behavior subject, or maybe even uses another data store uh, entirely. And this is something that we apply not just to data stores. So data store management is one example, but another is what solution you use to run your HTTP server. So mm -hmm. for example, we wouldn't run Express directly. We would create an abstraction that uses Express internally. And then if we ever decide to change to Fastify, for example, it would be fine yeah. because our code is not directly getting in contact with Express. It's getting in contact with an interface, which we are adapting for Express. And then we have all the features and we, we can easily switch the internal solution. And we can also add, we can also make changes to it without waiting on this third party library to apply those changes and adding those features, especially because sometimes it doesn't make sense to them to add those features. Sometimes it's just too specific. Most times I would say it's the changes that you need from a library are too specific to your business logic. Mm, and then yeah. if you have this layer of abstraction, you can still reuse everything that this library already provides to you, all that structure, but you still have control to make all the necessary changes that you need for your specific uh, yeah. use case. Yeah, well, well I, would, I, would, I mean, that's all cool, but I would like to you know, like challenge you with this. Now that you have added a layer of abstraction, and we all do that, I mean, even when I create a call to the database, I have to make it go through my facade to make sure that the, 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 the model, the data model that comes from the server does not affect my, my work uh, in the UI. This is understood, but imagine that this is a layer, uh, this is a, a layer of abstraction in my code. The number of layer of abstractions inside of NGRX itself, and then the layers of abstractions inside of Angular itself. So not only you're adding to Angular and then NGRX, you're adding your, your own layer of abstraction. In a huge website, in a huge application, I understand in an enterprise application with multiple teams and multiple features, that kind of is understood because you have teams dedicated to make sure, making sure that the bundle sizes are in place, the performance is working fine and whatnot. Right, but uh, when you have a small scale application that does very small, very little things, you are always aware of what layer of abstraction you're adding, because you're already like way uh, ahead in, in layers. The more you can remove, the better. So that's why, for example, I, I would actually just go for uh, 11, 11 t sometimes, because it generates pure HTML. Sometimes that is the solution. Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a fully SPA. The problem with SPA anyway, that when SPA came came into existence, uh, they kind of changed them. The they had a paradigm shift that developers did not adopt. It used to be the whole business logic was on the service side, PHP and ASP. And then this, this pad out HTML, ready-made HTML. The front-end developer takes that HTML, has a few PHP tags here and there to produce the HTML, right? Then Ajax came along, but even with Ajax, we, we used to return HTML. But now with SPA, the whole the business logic turned from the back-end, ASP.NET or whatnot, into the front-end, into Angular. 
And that itself is, is a huge challenge for, for someone who's used to creating uh, uh, front-end development, front-end uh, uh, controls, HTML pages. They probably don't know how to deal with that, how to deal with, with for layer abstraction, for example, creating facades. It's, it's something pretty challenging for them. And as we go along, I mean, that's we're talking about 2011, as we moved forward from then, people started to understand better that front-end developers have to have this knowledge. They have to, to create this. But in order for that to happen, they also have to understand there's a huge amount of, of layers of abstraction going on the client side. You have to be careful. It used to be an ASP.NET, it used to be on the server. Now it's on the client side. So you have to be a bit aware of what you add and when, when to add it. So yeah, I understand that the, the facade is something you have to live with. That layer of abstraction is something you cannot live without. But in order to add it, you know, you're, you're paying a small cost there, you know, an extra cost, right? Yeah, yeah you brought excellent points in. Um, I completely agree that this is a conceptual decision. I don't think that either route is the right one. Uh, there's no right, have... yeah. Yes, well, yeah exactly. There are multiple solutions to the same problem, you know? Yeah. Uh, I myself... No, kind of my way is the right way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but we'll do it the child's way. <laughs> just to right. be sure, your way is also my way, right? Just yeah, mm, I'm not sure. How much are you going to pay? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I even... Um, I, did, I haven't talked about that before, I think, like, uh, besides internally with my team, but uh, we even have a problem, which is... Well, could not be a problem. could just be uh, a lack of synergy. And then we have to look for uh, people and companies that have synergy with our thought process, which is most startups cannot, um, it doesn't make sense to them to hire us just because the way that we think about software, even uh, starting from scratch, is always thinking about how it's going to grow and keeping the same level of speed in the development cycle um, all the time. So doing it in a way that tech depth doesn't accumulate uh, such that our velocity decreases dramatically over time. So when needed, for example, we're super close to a release and we need to release uh, something uh, and we only have two weeks, there's not enough time to do the best code ever. Okay, we may get some tech depth there, but we will be sure to refactor that before we, we go on to other features afterwards. But we always have this, uh, this care about how it's going to scale later. And to many companies, this is just not the most valuable thing to them. To some yeah. companies, like you actually need to move faster. Like even besides that, uh, the whole approach that my company has, which is really try to understand your brand, which most startups don't even have a brand defined yet. So we would have to help them define that. Better understand your, your business strategy, which some startups need that just because for them to go after investors, they need to have some kind of business strategy, but sometimes it's not that well developed. Uh, so we try to gather all of that information so that we make sure that the product that we create actually gets users to the startup, actually gives them what they need, actually makes them compete with the alternatives instead of just coding mm -hmm. without uh, considering the whole scenario. But uh, we ran into a problem, which is that's not the language of most uh, yeah, startup founders, right? Mm -hmm. The language is go fast. If you if you want to go fast and, <laughs> and iterate super fast, there's no, I mean, do you want me to do a brand strategy that is going to take two to even four, maybe more months to do it completely? You're crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so how, 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 many, how many people in your company exactly? Uh, right now we are at uh, almost 20 people. So I can say so the exact approach, number. <laughs> yeah, so develop, they all developers work on, on certain projects, right? Not do you approach, do you approach yeah. Yeah, your front end, your uh, startups saying that we have 20 developers working on it? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I mean, my, the sizes of those companies that, that have this 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 issue with going faster, it's usually like less than 10. Sometimes it's the founder, maybe they're even starting to consider the yeah. first front-end developer. So they want to hire us so that we can do the front-end development to them and maybe they don't even have anyone because our specialty is front-end development. Mm. So sometimes it's even they don't even have anyone in front-end. So they mm. talk to somebody, to a freelancer or any other company that promised faster a faster MVP. And then what we say is, no, I don't think that just a functional maybe, MVP. The, the thing is, maybe you should approach them as a, single, as, a, as a freelance company. Like you can say that, that we have one person to work on it. 
he's gonna do because I mean, come to think about it, one of the major reasons of uh, slow development is communication. Really, I have two or three people. I lose time by just communicating between myself and the other guy. If I, I usually when I create MVPs, it's myself on the front end and the business analysis and the, and the UX and the design, and the other guy is the API. I sometimes even give him the API signature, tell him this is the API, just develop it. This way, it's much faster. So if you approach your your clients saying this is what we're gonna have, we're gonna have a single person doing it. The problem would buy it because at the end of the day, the business owners, they don't, they don't understand technology. They don't understand that down the road, they're going to have to have a tech. They don't understand the whole term of technical debt. You have to give it to them in terms of numbers. You have to tell them, like, we can we can uh, create uh, a tomato today. For example, I'm trying to come up with an example at the top of my head. We can create a tomato today and uh, later on turn it into a sauce. And it's not going to taste so good, for example. Or we can juice the, the tomato now. But it's going to take a little longer. But it's going to end up as a jet made of sauce. So, you see? So <laughs> when you them, said tomato, I thought there's not a chance that a good analogy is going to come. But that was actually a good one. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> I just come up with something. I just came up with something. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah, you just you have to, I mean, I've, I've dealt with a lot of startups. And they're all business people. And they all want something done yesterday. Yes. You just have to negotiate with them. You know, come down to their level and tell them, you know what? Uh, this, these things that you're asking for is going to take four weeks. They, they, if they ever ask, say, well, I want them in two weeks. They have a deadline. <laughs> you, don't, you don't tell them, well, I can do it in two weeks. What you say is that I can cut half of the features and cut and deliver right. in two weeks. So yeah. at the end of the day, they're going to say, no, I'll just find someone. And, and it happened to me a lot, by the way. I will find someone faster. And six months or well, a year later, they come back to me saying the project is crap. At least we do it. You know, <laughs> it's happened is, yeah. a lot of times for me. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to have a little patience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's a story about yeah. lives, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. when it comes to business people, they, they, they just don't understand these terms. You have to you have to make it simpler to them, I guess. Yeah, I was freelancing for like six years and yeah. usually it wasn't, I want all these features done in this time frame. It was just, you are really dang expensive, right? And yeah. so they go find somebody on yeah. uh, Upwork or something. And then, yeah, they come back six months later. So it sort of works, but it's mostly a complete disaster. Yeah. You I don't know. know how to fix that. Is there a way to fix that? It's like, maybe we should give them examples of, look, this guy did the same mistake that you, I mean, and now he's yeah. crying. Please don't do what he's doing. I don't think that would yeah. work because they, not work? there's always this feeling that, oh, nobody no more with me. It's going to be different. I think that yeah. even though we have this problem, you know who has it even stronger, stronger is designers. Oh man, it's so hard, so hard. And yeah. as soon as we because we offer front-end and due to offering front our specialty being front-end, we also do design. So design is even harder because you just cannot um, say yes to many things that the client wants. Mm-hmm. Just for, for the sake of everybody. Like if you say yes to what they want uh, and it's a bad decision in terms of UX and UI, first, you won't put that in your portfolio later because you, you, you will just want to forget that this ever happened. Right. Yeah. Second, it's, it's not going to provide them value. That it's, they're going to like it, which is a, something that people think it's good. But it's actually a mistake in my conception because what you need is for the client of your client to like it. And so the the difficulty that we have is always to communicate that to the client, which is you're hiring us not to do this for you, but to mm. do this for your clients. So yeah. the goal of what we do is for your target audience. You are not the target audience. And then um, we lose a lot of clients with that. But I also feel that the clients that we do get are the ones that appreciate the same things that we appreciate. So it's not a constant conflict. Um, I wasn't able to do that earlier in my career. In the beginning, you just got to accept the things that that come to you because, I mean, you need money (laughs) to survive. Mm -hmm. But um, I definitely recommend to all the developers and designers listening this. uh, If you are unhappy with the quality of clients and projects that you're taking, I would say make it clear to the client what is the problem. And if you are in a good financial financial situation, don't take the project if you don't agree. Because um, if you are already in a senior position, you are allowed to do that because you will eventually find a project that either they are making good decisions or they trust that you can make uh, mm. better decisions than the ones that they're making. Uh, we have a saying in Arabic, it goes uh, like this, it goes, uh, tie the donkey where its owner wants it to be tied. 
And they used to tell me that when I used to design at the beginning of my career as, as a freelancer. And I keep arguing that this is not the right way. They would say, just tie the donkey where his owner wants it to be tied. And I said, well, if he wants it, donkey tire, you should go find someone cheaper than I am because I am not that cheap. <laughs> so right. eventually, yeah, I mean, you have to learn. You know, I, when I was starting out, I was uh, 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 freelancing on the side. So I did turn a lot of jobs right, that way. People keep telling me, I want it that way. No, this is not the right way. I want it that way where you're fired. Well, fine, I'm fired. That's it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but as, as, as I grew up, I was, I'm a bit more opinionated. My clients know me, you know? <laughs> they know that when I say this is, this should be done, this is the way it should be done, they, they kind of trust me, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think now's a good time to mention that I am actually planning to bring back the freelancer show. Oh, really? Uh, in, yeah. in January, yeah. So we, we had a freelancing show that ran for like six or seven years. And then huh? um, the hosts all moved on and we put it on hiatus, but I'm looking to bring it back. And I'm looking to add some content for freelancers to uh, top end devs membership. So yeah, keep, uh, keep, keep an eye out for that. But yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, you already cool. restarted that. That was episode one. So we're all back. Right. <laughs> well, if I, if I restart right. um, freelancer show, I think I'm episode 398. Wow. Like 398. 400. Yeah. 400. We got to do at least two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go fetch it. So, Is it on podcast? Yeah. Is it on Google podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go fetch it. <laughs> Yeah, you should. There's a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of push us toward wrapping up. But before we do that, is there anything else that we wanted to discuss as far as the state management stuff goes? The statement. Well, there's one thing that I want to mention, which you kept uh, raising, uh, which is about the data storage. And again, uh-huh. um, state management is not about data storage. State management is when you have a lot of things on the screen and you have a lot of listeners and a lot of uh, data pool in the middle that controls all those listeners. And that, that problem... Right came up with the SPA, along with the SPA, but it doesn't do data, data storage. It doesn't manage data on the client. Not even in NGR, actually, you have to create your own solution. So the state management or, uh, is not about data storage. That's the one point that I needed to mention. I like the phrase that you sent to us uh, before the, the podcast so that we could prepare. So uh, I'm just paraphrasing Ayash here. This is not my statement. She wrote this beautiful phrase, which is state management is not about multiple users seeing immediate updates. Exactly. It's about yeah. a single user with many screens and a pool of data. I think this yeah. is a uh, great thing to keep in mind because people do do forget as as soon as you start talking about oh this is going to make your application more reactive uh, uh it's going to be like real time they they you say that and they visualize google docs and people mm-hmm. editing at the same time so this is okay. not necessarily that it can it is uh, necessary if you want to have that i cannot imagine you writing a good uh, application that multiple users can edit in real time without a good state management so mm-hmm. i think it is a requirement for that but it's not what is going to give you that necessarily. Yeah. So it's a step yeah. towards that direction. Yeah. So just one example, to, uh, just to put that into perspective, if you talk about the uh, WhatsApp threads, for example, if you have a message between two people talking on the same uh, window, you don't need state management because the screen's right there. Just keep appending right. messages. But because you have multiple threads, things happening behind the scenes, threads are being appended to while you're not watching. You're, you, as usual, you're not looking at the, uh, um, the same thread. That's when you need state management because now you need to jump from one thread to the other and threads have to be aware of what's happening without you watching. That's state management. But the fact that two users are talking at the same time with an open socket, that has nothing to do with state management. That's a different solution. It's a, like right. another solution that plugs into the state management. So yeah, I just keep that example because I, t- I sometimes confuse open sockets with, with the state management. The mm-hmm. uh, WhatsApp example is one, one good example for that. Oh, well, I think the most important one now is how can people hire you? Mm, oh yeah uh, oh my god sorry my life you know the last year was was a bit slow <laughs> to be honest i've been trying yeah. to get uh freelance work as uh i have i have a linkedin uh, profile i have a website Ayash the tech um and I, I put up my portfolio you know because i am the designer you can expect that the design of my design is not so good so i don't keep up with it you know i have so if anybody wants to speak to me about any idea has got an idea in his head oh, Ayash the tech is my website uh, I have my phone number there, my email, all my contact details, and all the information that uh, a person needs to just uh, contact me. Let's talk. I mean, talk free. Let's yep. talk. Yep. And that's Ayash. That's A-Y-Y-A-S-H dot tech, right? Yep. Yep. That's it. Okay. We'll also put a link in the show notes just so that if you 
driving and can't jot Thank it down, you. right? Thank you. You just click through. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Are there other places that people can just, you know, do you tweet or post to a I do. And it's all there. With your stuff? Yeah. It's all there. Online, all... I think. But mainly I keep uh, a blog on Garage and Sikrab. It's called S-E-K-R-A-B. And uh, my Twitter is Sikrab, uh, Sikrab Bin. So two Bs there. Sikrab Bin. Okay. If you can put all of the links to this stuff in the collaboration forum, okay. we'll make sure it ends up in the show notes. Um, right, I'm going to push us toward picks. Um, but Lucas and I were talking after the last episode and we decided that we're going to add a, a promo segment, right? So this is the stuff that we're working on, right? Because I always blend it into the picks and then I ramble on for 20 minutes. And so <laughs> I'm going to try and keep it real short and just let you know what's coming up, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, right. Lucas, do you want to go first and, and just let people know sure, what you've got you. going on and yeah, how they can yeah, find okay. you? Um, well, first off, just to add something to Ayash, she has awesome posts on Medium. She has a lot of posts and she has a very little audience there, which I think it's totally underrated. So if you are a Medium reader, go check out uh, Ayash on Medium. Be sure to follow her because she posts a lot about Angular. She has even posts about uh, SSR on Angular. Great article. So make sure to follow her. Let's increase that following because she deserves that for the quality content. And also adding on what Ayesh, uh, Ayash said, uh, if you want to hire me. <laughs> so if you want the other side of the conceptual uh, idea, which is you're starting a company and you, you want like a more robust idea. So we always uh, dedicate squads. So we are not individual developers. We are always going to dedicate a tech leader and a product designer just for your project. So this is the way that we organize things. This ensures that we can move faster and without uh, eating too much tech debt along the lines. Even with that structure, which seems very expensive, we can still keep things accessible because we are uh, in a different country with a weaker currency. So we can still keep that accessible for yeah, uh, European <laughs> and US markets. Awesome. So yeah, if you want to, hire uh, Ayash, you can go to Ayash.tech. If you want to hire my company, you can go to Envoy.com. Or if you want to uh, see other content that I'm producing in terms of Angular or web development in general, you can do so on LucasPaganini.com. So yeah, I think those are the main things that I'm promoting. So rock on, Chuck. Nice. So today um, is the first call for the Top End Devs membership. Um, and I'm pretty excited about the what we've got going. So um, I realize that you're listening to this after the fact. These meetups are already over with, um, but we're going to keep doing them, right? So I'm just going to throw out the ones that we're doing this week and, and next week, and then we'll kind of roll from there. So this week we are doing one. It's a careers Q&A. I have a lot of people telling me they're stuck in their careers. So it's like, all right, show up, ask your question. We'll get you unstuck, right? Uh, should be uh, really quick, uh, you know, kind of rapid fire questions. I'll go into as much depth as I can in, you know, in a few minutes. Um, and yeah, we, we at this point, we have a handful of subscribers. So I may just be uh, outlining some of my philosophy on how to stay current in an adventure career during that if there's time. Um, this evening is the first book club. We're doing clean architecture with Uncle Bob Martin. Um, he thought it started last week and he tried to get into the call and then texted me and said, I can't get in. So I'm pretty sure he's going to be on most of these. Um, and that's pretty exciting. But yeah, we're going to be talking about clean architecture. And then on Friday, I'm doing resume reviews and walkthroughs. So I'll walk through my res resume and I'll review yours. Um, so yeah, if, some, if I have people send me the resumes, that's where we're kind of sitting. Um, next week, I'm doing a podcasting 101. And then the book club again next Wednesday. Um, and I'm, I'm filling in the, the topics for the rest of the month. Uh, but that, that's where we're sitting. If you want the replays on any of these, just sign up for a Top End Devs membership and you can get access. Um, and for the book club, you can sign up for the book club independently or it's part of the membership. So either way. Um, and finally, if you want to get a copy of my resume, you can get a copy of my resume for free. Just go to topendevs.com slash resume. Chuck, um, just to be sure if I heard that right. So Uncle Bob, Bob Marty himself mm -hmm. is going to be in the meeting. Probably and there's still people listening. And, and there's still people listening to this podcast. They're still trying to decide if they're gonna pay for this or not. Uh, hopefully they're jumping on. But yeah, it's topendevs.com slash book club is where you can sign up just for the book club. If you want the full membership and things that we're gonna add in there are like uh, premium versions of the podcast without ads. Um, I'm gonna throw in extras, you know, so things that we drop on the cutting room floor or 
um, you know, I'm, I'm putting together some of the content that's just going to be paid. That'll all be included in there as well. So, and, and you can sign up at topendevs.com slash sign up. But yeah, the book club is $17 a month and you get four or five, you know, because we just do it every Wednesday. And uh, we're looking at having the authors come if we can. Um, the people who are in the book club now, I talked to them about books and we're looking at doing the Domain Driven Design by Eric Evans next. And so I've reached out to Eric to see if he's interested in coming. So anyway, um, that that's, but yeah, that that's what we got. And yeah, Bob is probably going to be on these calls. So we've gotten to be pretty good friends over the last year or two. So yeah, anyway. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. All right, well, let's do picks. Unless, uh, Ayash, do you have anything else you wanted to promote other than, hey, hire me, go here? <laughs> no promotion, no, that's it for me. Thank okay. you, guys. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I go to the meetups, I try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on. You can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it. Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular View, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The, the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. Uh, Lucas, what are your picks? My pick is the webcam that I'm using now, which is a Logitech Brio. This webcam is a bit expensive. I don't know how much it costs in your country, but here it was $200. Uh, so kind of a bit too much for a webcam. But I got to say that I don't regret like even one cent that I spent on it because the level of detail and the HDR uh, sensor that this camera has is amazing. And it really brings another level of professionalism, especially if you do a lot of client meetings, if you do remote work for life. So we were talking about freelancing life. If you are a remote developer, remote designer, you got to invest in your image because every single thing amounts to the value that your clients see in you. So this might look like a small thing, but if you have a good lighting, a good setup, a good audio, a good camera, you speak well, you, you look directly in the eyes of your client or in the eyes of your camera when you're talking to them. This really creates um, a whole set of qualities that when you give your price, it all seems justified for the level of professionalism. So I really recommend for everyone working remotely is Logitech Brio. And Logitech is not even paying me anything. They should because that was a great <laughs> promo. So Logitech, if you're hearing this, come on, like give me a referral code or something at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> my webcam is a Logitech as well, but I think it's the C920 or something. Anyway, um, the Logitech Brio is $130 US on Amazon right now. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have two picks, by the way. I thought you were one of them, right? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I have my own picks as well. Well, I yeah. keep this book like next to me all the time. It's called The Peter Principle. I mean, I've probably told you about it. Uh -huh. It's a book that was written in 1970, but everything in it is still holds valid. It it's very, in simple terms, every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence. He talks about the hierarchy of a career path because that's something I always oppose, a career path. Every time I am like a good developer, they want to promote me to become a team leader. But once you do that, you have to have a different skill set. 
And then they promote you a little further into becoming a manager and a completely different skill set. You're a great developer. You're a very bad manager. You're stuck there because they're not going to promote you any further. That's it. You're stuck at the, the worst level you can be. That's the hierarchy. So that book is really good. I mean, it's, um, it still holds. That's what I like about it. It still holds <laughs> to the day. Uh, the other book I want to talk about is um, uh, because I like uh, uh, autobiographies. Uh, there is this uh, writer uh, named Alex. Uh, it's Beltana Alex, her name. She's a Russian uh, writer or Ukrainian writer. She has a Nobel Prize in this genre. And she has a book called Second Ti- Secondhand Time. And it's short stories or short autobiographies of hundreds of people who call themselves ex-Soviets. Really, the people who have run through the, uh, the fall of the USSR. They were once Soviets, the next morning they were not. They were in different parts of the world. And she gives those small, short narratives of each one of them. It's a great book, and I think she got a Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize for that. So that was that I wanted to share with them because I read this recently. It's one of my favorite books already. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. All so, right. I love a phrase that uh, resumes the Peter Principle. It's a, it's a great and funny phrase, which is yeah. people get promoted to their highest level of incompetence. This level of incompetence, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You're good at this. We're going to promote you into a job that you're not good at. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say more than that because I'll hurt people's feelings. Um, I'm going to I'm going to dive in with some of my picks here. Uh, the first one, I do a board game pick every week. And this week I'm going to pick Camel Up. Um, it's a you basically uh, you bet on or own camels and you or both. And, uh, you know, they're racing and it's it's dice rolling as to how the camels move. So sometimes your camel will be way ahead and then it's not right because it just didn't get rolled. Um, and you get bonuses if you roll camels that you own and stuff like that. Um, it, it, it's a lot of fun. I've only played the 2014 version. I haven't played the 2018 version. They do look like they are a little bit different. Um, the, 20, the 2014 version um, is um, on Board Game Geek. It's rate, weighted at a 1.47. So it's an easy game to pick up, easy game to play. Uh, 20 to 30 minutes. You can play up to eight players, which is nice. Um, I've probably played it with six or seven people, and it's fun. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick that. And then... Um, Oh, there was something else I was going to pick, and I can't remember what it was. Uh, my wife and I went and saw Wakanda Forever, which is the new Marvel movie. I have to say, we went and we were a little bit worried because we had gone and seen the Doctor Strange movie, and we saw the Thor Love and Thunder movie, and we didn't like them. We, we just didn't. They weren't great movies at all. And so we were like, okay, are they making crappy Marvel movies now? Wakanda Forever was good, right? It wasn't as good as Black Panther, but it was good. And so if you're looking for kind of a flick that you can go see and, you know, suspend disbelief and enjoy and whatever... Um, I'm sorry for all the Marvel movies. There's just suspension of disbelief and they're going to be continuity issues. But if you can look past them, I enjoy the movie. So uh, I'm going to pick that as well. Um, and then I'm excited for the Yellowstone uh, season five. Um, but I haven't been able to watch any of it because I'm watching World Cup. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brazil's going to win, right? Brazil, Brazil is <laughs> kicking butt and taking yes. names. Uh, <laughs> yes. U.S. got eliminated, unfortunately. Yeah. Morocco but, uh, won yesterday. Just historical win yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like the first yeah, time I'm a ever. little bit behind. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Yeah, mm-hmm. unbelievable. They they won over Spain, which was like oh wow, unseen. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Spain's out, Morocco's in. It's just unbelievable. I'll, I'll have to watch that. Yeah, yeah. I'll I know that France and England are teed up to go at each other. That'll be fun. To watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are but two teams. Let's, let's just course. face it. Yeah, let's just admit it. They have a yeah, chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they they trounced uh, South Korea, so. Yeah. Oh, that was like a and we time. even played nice. We even played played nice in the second time. So we just yeah, did yeah exactly. Our nose that. in the first time, and we were like, "That's enough. That's polite. enough. That was polite. We don't yeah. want to make enemies. Uh-huh. Let's stop here. Yeah, you should have not stopped because Portugal yesterday had six goals. So you should have not stopped. Learn not to be polite. <laughs> That's right. Beat them ten nothing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, right. But yeah, so I'll shout out about that too. I've been yeah. telling people this tip. Um, the replays are free on the Tubi app. That's T U B I. 
that's what I've been doing. So I've been watching replays. I haven't been watching any of the games live um, just because I'm cheap and I'm not willing to pay for a subscription <laughs> service for a month just so I can watch them when they're <laughs> on because I usually can't watch them when they're on anyway. So, um, but yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Ayash. This Thank was you. awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.